there was times where we were out kite surfing where we we got caught up in squalls and were like carried 50, 60 feet in the air. <laughs> I mean, just insane. My friend was just so excited about this prolotherapy, and he, you know, he's telling me like prolo is like to proliferate. So he did the injection. I got up. My pain was completely gone. I had no pain in my leg, and I'm like, you know, what's going on here? They would have these giant syringes of ozone and the players would walk past and just point and they would just inject ozone into those areas. One out of every 100 cells in the belly fat is a mesenchymal stem cell. Ultrasound is a very difficult modality to really learn and master. I mean, it takes years. Quality of your life is in direct proportion to the amount of uncertainty that you can comfortably live with. Hello, hello. Welcome to the OPP. The Optimal Performance Podcast is brought to you by Natural Stacks. We got the hat here representing. And I want to talk to you real quickly about MycoBoost. This is one of our new products. It's one of my favorites. It is an amazing pre-workout product or anytime you want a full body boost, a little bit of energy and vitality. It is Herba Mate and Cordyceps Mushrooms. Cordyceps mushrooms have been shown to increase endurance, increase ATP efficiency, and all that stuff really helps boost exercise endurance. We've got a lot of anecdotal evidence of 100-mile runners, CrossFitters on the rowing machine. Anybody looking to get a little bit more out of their performance is loving MycoBoost as a pre-workout. From now until the end of the month of May, you guys can go to naturalstacks.com, uh, enter the promo code MYCOOPP, that is M-Y-C-O-O-P-P, save 20% on any single bottle of MycoBoost. When you do that, tag us on Instagram, Twitter, social media, whatever, let us know how much you love it and tell us what kind of benefit you're getting from it. And that's it, MYCOOPP, use that code by the end of the month of May. And one other thing I want to throw out there, this is a study, it was actually published May 2nd in Cell. This is really interesting. The chemical compound is called GW1516. And the headline shows that, quote, exercise in a pill boosts exercise endurance by 70%. So this pill or this chemical compound that has been given to mice is impacting a gene called PPAR delta, PPAR-D. And it's offering clues. Scientists are really excited about this. Researchers are looking at endurance athletes and people who can sustain aerobic activity for longer periods of time. They're saying that, quote, as people become more fit, their muscles shift from burning carbohydrates or glucose to burning fat, which is really interesting to hear that this is starting to gain traction in the research community because in our world of biohacking, in our world of primal or ancestral eating or keto, uh, we know that having the ability to burn fat and especially being metabolically flexible, going back and forth between those fuel sources is paramount to being healthy and being able to sustain ourselves and our health for, for longevity, but also to perform. So really interesting research. There's a lot to this. I will put the link to this post in the show notes for this, which is a good segue into reminding you, go to naturalstacks.com. You'll be able to see the blog post uh, with the video for this episode. Ryan Muncy is probably the smartest guy I know. Trust me, Muncy is the nutrition guy. Ryan Muncy's out there trying to make the world better for all of us. The Optimal Performance Podcast is bold, edgy, creative, entertaining, 
Brian Muncy is my go-to guy. Brian Muncy is he's the first guy I call. He's making people's lives better. Brian Muncy's an innovator. Our esteemed guest today is Dr. John Lawrence. John, thanks for hanging out with us on the OPP. Happy to be here. So we're coming to you. If you're watching the video, you see we've got this beautiful, lush, tropical background. We are in Siesta Key, Florida. John runs an anti-aging, a rejuvenation clinic here. How would you describe what it is that you do? It's a multidisciplinary medical slash naturopathic slash chiropractic neurology slash acupuncture type of practice. And so I'd say the main thrust of our, of our clinic is in two main segments. One would be regenerative injection orthopedics, and the other one would be holistic care. The name of the clinic is Advanced Rejuvenation. And we do a lot of work with regenerative injection orthopedics using different substances and including stem cells, which is a big thrust of our practice now because they're so effective at rejuvenating various uh, aspects of the joint and, and the spine. A little bit of your background, how did you become you know who you are how did you get here you've got an, an interesting story that i'm sure our listeners would like to hear yeah yeah so um i was classically trained in chiropractic and graduated in the mid 90s and was very much into the, the the world of chiropractic and and what we call a straight chiropractor you know so i felt like you know chiropractic was you know the end all be all and so I wasn't very open-minded to a lot of other types of modalities at that point. And I had moved here to, to Sarasota and I was driving down one of the uh, streets here and a car pulled out in front of me and I slammed on the brakes. And when I hit that vehicle, the, the energy went through my leg into my lower back and I immediately started to have pain in my lower back and down my leg. And so of course I went and got an MRI and went to a medical doctor and, you know, he said, there's your problem. You know, he threw, back then, you know, we didn't have digital. It was just a, a film that he threw up on the, on the view box and, he's, and he pointed to this bulge. And he says, that's your problem. And, and it was correlating to my symptoms because it was right where the nerve exited that went down my leg. So he said, you know, you should go see this neurosurgeon. And this neurosurgeon happened to be like the best in the country, right? And, and he was graduated from Harvard and you know, had all these different pedigrees. And so went to see him and he did the same thing. He basically didn't even touch my back, threw the, the film up and said, there's your problem, you know, go back, do as much conservative care you, as you can and let's see if, if we can't delay the surgery, but you're gonna need to get surgery on this. I'm in the middle of, of trying to manage, you know, treating patients and doing chiropractic and my back was was really a, a, a major issue for me. And shortly after this experience with this with this doctor that told me I'm gonna need surgery, I had another friend who was a naturopath and then went to medical school. And so he was already really open-minded to holistic and natural types of modalities. And he had gotten involved with a, a treatment called prolotherapy. And I'd never heard about it before and so he was super excited about it and it helped him out. He started to describe how he had chronic pain down his thoracic spine for, you know, 20 years and that these injections basically cured his pain. And he says, you know, what this treatment is focused on is basically healing and tightening up the ligaments or the connective tissue. So he starts talking about how it's the connective tissue that's the, that, that's the culprit that, that causes all of the pain. 
it has a lot of pain receptors in it. There's a very low blood supply to this connective tissue and that, that gets injured and 70% of the time it never heals. And all this stuff is really making a lot of sense to me. I'm like, you know, why didn't they teach this stuff to us in chiropractic school? So I, I started to really um, reflect upon a lot of my training as a chiropractor where we were taught to adjust or you know find things that were locked up and, and not moving properly and stay away from things that were considered hypermobile. Right. So you have hypomobile, which is something that's not moving very, very much, and then hypermobile, which is too much movement. Right. So that just for anybody who's not trained in science or or you know that has a science degree, anything where you say hypo is below and hyper is above. And exactly. that can be for like insulin or amino acids or anything. Right, exactly. Okay. So, so it, it just makes sense though that you wouldn't want to thrust into something that's, that's basically damaged. So that the damage in the injury is usually associated with the hypermobile area. So this can be a knee, an ankle, um, very commonly in the spine because you have several motor units in the spine and there may be one or two that are like overly working right? And the other ones are locked up. So that, what, that's what we call compensation. Right. And you know, one of the things that I've been taught that, that I think has helped me with understanding of movement and, and pain and how things are, or how the body is supposed to work. And you may be able to add to this. Basically, as you go from bottom, from ground up, your body alternates things that should be mobile and things that should be stable. You know, the ankle joint should be incredibly mobile. And if it's not mobile and you don't have proper movement, then you're going to have issues up the chain. You know, the ankle is something that should be mobile. The knee should be stable. The hips should be mobile. The low back should be stable. We don't want movement through that lumbar spine. Uh, we want stability. And then in the thoracic spine is where you want most of that mobility. Well, it only makes sense. Look at the hip joint. It's this giant ball and socket, right? I mean, that joint is meant to, to use to lift heavy weights. But you look at the spine, you have a lot of these tiny little joints in the disc. You, know, you don't want to be like putting excessive you know, movement on that, especially when you load it. So I totally agree with that. So it's interesting. I mean, you, you have this life path that you think you're going to go on as a chiropractor. And then you have a life experience where it kind of opens your eyes to, okay, maybe chiropractic isn't the end-all, be-all that I thought it was. Walk us through that, the, the rest of that evolution. You went to uh, naturopathic school, so you're an ND now uh, on top of being a chiropractor. That's right. You used your, your experiences with some of these, what we would maybe call alternative treatments. The original biohacking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fill, fill that in for us, and then, and then let's dive into some of the... Uh, the rejuvenation stuff that you guys do. Well, well, I think, you know, kind of to finish up the story with, with my lower back, because I found that when I start talking about regenerative injection and in my personal experiences, people start to think about maybe I'm like an evil Knievel type of character. And I have done a lot of extreme sports over my life, paragliding, a lot of kite surfing. In fact, I was one of the first, there was three of us actually that started kite surfing here on this coast back 15 years ago, and no one really had heard about it. So back then, the, the technology wasn't so great, so we hurt ourselves, you know? You couldn't, like, release wind. You know, you had to, you know, you got a gust. You had to take that in and, and cut in and carve in with, with the board. You know, you couldn't, like, sheet out and let the, let the winds and take it. So there was times where we were out kite surfing where we, we got caught up in squalls and were, like, carried 50, 60 feet in the air. <laughs> I mean, just insane. And so the injuries have just been, you know, 
I don't do as much kite surfing these days, but you didn't stick those landings. <laughs> Some of them were pretty were were pretty crazy, but a lot of them I did stick and unfortunately that is when i probably got some of my my injuries is trying you know hanging in there instead of bailing when i should have right so kind of tracing all the way back with this back problem when my friend who was a naturopath and, and, and an osteopathic physician was just so excited about this prolotherapy and he you know he's telling me like prolo is like to proliferate you know so it's a proliferative therapy he says that there's an injection of a sugar that they use, and specifically dextrose, which is in a high concentration that stimulates a certain type of inflammation that leads to fibroblasts migrating to the area, an enhanced circulatory aspect where growth factors are released and stem cells are then chemoattracted. And we can talk a little bit more about some of the science and break down the healing cascades, but when you have this type of inflammation, you literally get a chemoattractant to stem cells to the area. And this was the technique that my friend started to tell me about. I was skeptical because here I am, I've got back pain, I got pain shooting down my leg, right? And I have an MRI that shows that I've got a bulge right on that nerve root. And I've got a Harvard graduated neurosurgeon that's saying that this is my problem and I need surgery. So obviously I was a bit skeptical, right? right? Well, surgeons always want to cut, yeah. most of them. I'm sure there's some good ones out there, but that's... I always say, if you asked a peach farmer if you should eat more peaches, what do you think they're going to say? No, they're not going to send you to the guy next door growing <laughs> apples. No. So he said that they combined the, the dextrose with lidocaine. So he said that very often, if there, there, there's any confusion about what the pain-producing tissue is, that when prolotherapy is done, because the lidocaine is naturally added in there just to make the injections more comfortable anyway. And so a typical session, especially if it's more of a complex area like the spine, the injections will be performed and then the patient will be asked to kind of get up and move or do what's called a pain provoking movement. Like if you flex and then you have pain in the back. Right. So obviously if a ligament was injected and you got up off the table and you flexed and your pain's completely gone and the, the disc wasn't injected, then it's probably not discogenic pain. Okay. So he told me that there's a common ligament in the back and uh, that, that can refer pain down the leg and that he wanted to start with that injection. So he did the injection, I got up, my pain was completely gone, I had no pain in my leg, and I'm like, you know, what's going on here? So the cause wasn't the, the bulging disc, that was more of a symptom? No, so the other doctors were treating an image, right. a picture. Right. And so this was very impactful for me and it was career changing. So I started to hire medical doctors to come into my chiropractic practice, and I would treat the, the areas of the, of the body that were locked up, the compensations, and I would have the prolotherapist or the medical doctors come in, and they would do the injections to the, uh, to the areas that were um, you know, damaged. And so we, we did that for many, many years. And then I had another experience that was not too long after that where the technology... Well, let me just kind of back up. So if we look at this whole concept, it really started in the 50s. And there was a doctor, his name's Hackett, Dr. Hackett, and he worked for the insurance companies. And so this was in Pittsburgh, so that the, all these steel workers were getting injured 
and they were filing work comp. So the work comp company hired Dr. Hackett to see if there was something he could do to get these people back working. And so he started to experiment with injecting irritants into connective tissue. And the two big things that he discovered was A, the connective tissue seemed to be the main cause of pain and disability for a lot of these people because connective tissue is that dense tissue that holds our bones together. Tendons are at the end of muscles and they anchor muscles to the bone and those are just mostly to move us around, you know? And so it's the connective tissue that really gives us the support and integrity. And the connective tissue is very dense. There's not a lot of blood supply. So, you know, it can get injured and stay that way. So Dr. Hackett learned this. And so he started using something called sodium moruate. And it's an extract of cod liver oil. And he was injecting this and he was getting these fantastic results. And he was able to get a lot of these people back to work. And so this was kind of the beginning of this movement with prolotherapy. But right around that same time is when surgical procedures started to really emerge. And so prolotherapy kind of became kind of a, a backseat, you know, alternative woo-woo type of treatment. And I, I don't know that there was the money involved with it where, you know, the, a lot of the surgical procedures, there's devices that are patentable. And so there was a big divergence in kind of the way that we went technologically with managing, you know, injuries. Right. The, the medical powers moved more towards things that they could patent, control, make money off of. And, and a lot of those, yeah, I like that word you use, the woo-woo stuff has kind of, it, it's been kind of outside the pale of, you know, orthodox medicine. And you guys do a few other things in the, the proliferative regeneration, rejuvenation type stuff. You guys have been doing stem cells for uh, almost 20 years, uh, almost 10 years. And the, the PRP uh, and there was one other one that you mentioned last night that you guys Prolozone. Prolozone is, is what you've been doing. The ozone. Okay, right. So give us a, a quick breakdown of some of those, and then let's dive into uh, the stem cell stuff. Okay, so excellent. Guess, maybe excellent. we'll start with the ozone stuff that you guys originated with. So really, you know, using irritants to heal the body has been an evolution. So the technology's evolved over the years, and we were mainly using dextrose in the early years. And um, ozone was the second thing that kind of came on board. So let me ask you this before we go into ozone, and because I, I wrote this down earlier, you mentioned that, that sugar, dextrose, is a, an irritant and it's gonna cause inflammation and that cascade is actually beneficial. So right. I think that's interesting to me on, on two levels. One, that it reiterates that sugar is a, a cause of inflammation, but it's also interesting in that it can be used for benefit. Can you explain how that works? It's not quite that simple to break it down that way because it, it's the type of sugar seems to be a really important factor. The dextrose seems to work, really work, but there's a release of IGF-1, which is the active form of growth hormone. So there's like an insulin effect that, that really kind of aids in the regeneration. And IGF-1 being insulin-like growth factor. Right. right. Okay. Yeah. There's also other aspects of how it might have a very beneficial effect to nerves that innervate the area. So there's a lot of, you know, I, there may be too much for us to get into with this podcast with how that really works, but it's very interesting and there's, there's a lot of people looking at it and studying it. And it's not a dead technology. It's, okay. it's still very well alive and, and we still use it a lot. 
but there has been some advances in regenerative injection treatments. And that's the ozone? Well, the, the ozone has still been around for a long time. Okay. And you know, unfortunately in this country, we, we don't hear about ozone. And we call it prolozone in the United States. If you were to go to like Cuba or China or Brazil, it's very, very commonly used. In fact, I've talked to some of the, uh, there was a coach for professional Brazilian team and he was talking about how they would have these giant syringes of ozone and the players would walk past and just point and they would just inject ozone into those areas. And so, you know, ozone is three oxygen molecules and they're basically temporarily fused together. It's a, a very fragile molecule. It doesn't last for very long. So we have a machine that makes it, it's put into a syringe and then it needs to be pretty much used right away. And when it's injected into a, an area, it does have the ability to kind of migrate and move through fascial planes and completely fill a joint. And, and it has a, a, a very oxidative effect. So just like we're trying to take a lot of antioxidants, well, oxidation is actually something that is a necessary thing because we have to deal with oxidation. And so the local stress of this oxidation effect with the ozone actually is a stressor that leads to the healing cascade. So it's almost like you're using a sublethal dose to get that hormetic response. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And then, of course, then you have all this, you know, massive amounts of oxygen. But, you know, there, there's, another, there's another theory or another aspect of why ozone might be helpful. And it used to be kind of a conspiracy theory type of issue, but they're, they're, they're finding more and more that this is actual factual, is that a lot of chronic pain conditions have an etiology with microbial aspects. And you know, there's different types of microbes that are, are considered nanobacteria, you know, very, very small. They're very difficult to isolate. They're, you can't culture it because you're not going to buy once you take a biopsy you know that's not going to survive for very long so they've correlated the the a very large majority of people with chronic disc degeneration have a specific type of bacterial infection in the disc right ozone has an antimicrobial aspect to it in fact we also use ozone in our office iv for chronic lyme disease and chronic viral infections and you, we talked about this yesterday, actually, but you've had Lyme disease before. So yeah, you know yeah. exactly what's required to recover from that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting how these tragedies, at least at the, at the moment, seem like a tragedy turn into, you know, a, at least a means to contribute to other people and right. share and, you know, pay it forward. So with, with ozone, then you, you've got a way to kill some of the microbes and also sort of induce that healing hormetic response. And then I think you mentioned that, that you guys can add the PRP on top of that. Oftentimes we will combine the ozone with our PRP treatments. Okay. So talk about that a little bit and I guess maybe start from the top in case a listener doesn't know what PRP is and, and why okay. that's so beneficial. Okay, good. When we get injured, there's a release of growth factors. So if you tear a muscle or tear a tendon or break a bone or something, blood goes into the area and then the blood clots. And so we don't really think about that blood clot like a, a graft, but that's exactly what it is. It's an early graft. And so within that blood clot or that graft, platelets basically open up. And platelets are like a 
Christmas package full of growth factors. And there's hundreds of different types of growth factors, but there's some kind of primary players like platelet-derived growth factor, endothelial-derived growth factor, TGF-beta. Some of these things actually are very powerful aspects of the cascade that leads to stem cells being pulled into that graft and then those stem cells being told to multiply and then to differentiate into various types of cells. And there's, there's a lot of complexities that happen with, with this because obviously certain cells are gonna wanna turn into hair, certain cells may wanna turn into skin, some bone, some tendon, some, some muscle. And so this, this symphony that is pretty freaking amazing if you can think about it, it happens without us really having to, to, to sit there and, and guide it. It's like, it's just an innate intelligence in our body. So the stem cells aren't really the intelligence as much as it's the growth factors. So the stem cells are like work, work cells. And so they do what they're told to do. So you get the injury, the stem cells migrate to the area, and then it's the growth factors that are kind of like the sergeants that are dictating hey, I want you to go over there and I want you to multiply and I want you to turn into this. So this, this goes on and so it's rate limiting by circulation and you know how much growth factors, how strong are the growth factors and also the stem cell population that's able to be chemoattracted. So chemoattraction is kind of the fancy name for basically calling into an injured area bringing into an injured area the stem cells or any other substances, chemoattraction. Okay. When you kind of look at that, you start to realize that how can you make this better? Like how can we make this even more powerful? And there's different aspects of where someone's injury is, how severe their injury is, the age of the patient, right. you know, and whether the patient's a professional athlete or you know, so all these different factors are gonna play into how aggressive or how strong or how powerful of a, a solution do we need to produce that we're gonna use for that particular procedure. Right. So. But it sounds like you've got an incredible, I mean, it, we'll use our word stack. So with natural stacks, you know, we wanna stack synergistic things to get a, a result that's better than any of the individual things. And, and it sounds like with an ozone injection, uh, the, the PRP on top of that and the stem cells that you're, I mean, it's like the ultimate recovery rejuvenation stack. It's rare that we use that much stuff on right. any particular case. Right. And a lot of these things work very well By in themselves. of themselves. Right, okay. But, but there, is, there is a lot of biohacks involved with these treatments and it adds expense the fancier you get. Right. And so a lot of times that's, that's a major issue for people is like how much they're willing to spend. Right. You know, because we can get obviously pretty fancy with some of these treatments. I think one of the fanciest things that we do in our office is something we call Maripose. And so, you know, there's, there's two main areas that we can effectively collect stem cells. There's bone marrow mm -hmm. and then there's adipose tissue. So in 2002, there was a scientist that discovered that the fat right around the, the belly in the midsection was very rich in stem cells. In fact, one out of every 100 cells in the belly fat is a mesenchymal stem cell. And this huge reservoir stays constant from when you're born all the way until the day you die. Wow, that's crazy, I didn't know that. 
Yeah, yeah. So, and it's very easy to collect. You do a mini liposuction and then, you know, you've got your adipose tissue. Bone marrow. So you get an added benefit of a little liposuction on top of harvesting your own stem cells. Usually there's not a big difference though with people because, you know, we don't take, we take a cup, you know, maybe a half a cup of fat depending on the procedure. So it's done in a way that there's not really a big sculpting, you know, change unless someone's really lean and, you know, maybe it's around the love handles or something that might be a little bit right. gone there. But um, so bone marrow is the other uh, area. Now that's been around much longer than adipose derived stem cells. And so the bone marrow, unfortunately, after the age of 40, really starts to decline in the population and the, um, the robustness of those cells. So the bone marrow, has the hematopoietic stem cells and the endothelial progenitor cells. And so the endothelial progenitor cells are pretty awesome because they really work with neovascularization, which is a big issue for if you're looking to heal a nerve or cartilage or connective tissue, you know, or the spine, you know, because like we talked about earlier, you know, a big aspect of our, our body's ability to heal is the, the fact that we can't really get the nutrients to that area, right? You know, or to simplify it, bring in the groceries and take out the garbage, right? That's really fascinating. So, I guess before we ask a bunch more questions on stem cells, so so back to to PRP, it's you know platelet rich plasma. You're, you're taking blood and you're you're centrifuging it, and that's kind of allowing you to to concentrate the growth factors. So that's exactly what it, what it is. So the the um, the growth factors are not only in the platelets, but they're also in the monocytes or the macrophages. Right. And last weekend, I was in Seattle, and there was a big annual regenerative uh, injection kind of conference there. And there was a scientist from Brazil that was actually discovered that the the monocytes may actually play a larger role, and we may actually want to change PRP to MRP, monocyte rich plasma really because they they found that there may be a strong more more of the growth factors that are actually in the macrophages so you know there are a lot in platelets there are a lot in the, the macrophages and they do seem to play a very big role in our our the normal healing that we we we're constantly replacing our body with new tissue so this is always going on and then of course if you get an injury that's happening so what we do in our office is we're able to harness the healing components and concentrate it and get rid of, like the red blood cells really aren't doing any good. You know, they're, they're just getting in the way. The body has to use energy to clear those out anyway. So we create an injection that has a very rich amount of these growth factors, but it also has something called fibrin, which is in PRP and it's in your blood. And the fibrin is like, um, uh, it's, it's basically scaffolding. So it would look like a bunch of spaghetti if you were to look at it under a microscope. So when that is injected into a specific tear, like if it was a rotator cuff or it was an Achilles you know, tendon tear or a tear or an injury in the spine, it turns into a hard gelatin. And then those platelets and those monocytes release their growth factors. So that, that fibrin is actually a very important aspect of the PRP because you're holding that, that, that graft. It would be like, you know, imagine trying to build a house with just drywall. Right. Well, and you mentioned that yesterday when we were 
first starting to talk about stem cells and, and how you guys are doing it and what kind of applications it has because you, you were mentioning like we were using a knee for example uh, mm-hmm. or any joint where there's been um you know some some either arthritis or, or wear and tear and you know you were saying that it's actually better if somebody did the stem cell injection first before cleaning the the stuff out because that gives the stem cells something to kind of build off of like a scaffolding or or some sort of infrastructure. Right. So, yeah, we were talking about um, meniscal, you know, surgery and the surgeons, you know, they say we're going to go in there and clean it up, which sounds good. Yeah, I want to get my knee cleaned up. I mean, that sounds like a positive thing. And in reality, what they're doing is they're going in and they're scraping all the tissue out. So the, the meniscus is a fibrocartilage. In the knee, you have two types of cartilage. You have a fibrocartilage and you have a hyaline cartilage. So the hyaline cartilage is very, very hard and dense. And in fact, it has a 115-year half-life. So it's designed to last your whole life. Fibrocartilage is a bit softer. It makes up the meniscus. And that's really designed to, to hold the knee in the position, and especially when you're moving and walking and running and so forth. It kind of guides and keeps the, uh, the, the, the knee joint so it's tracking. And when you lose that, that substance and that tracking, you alter the mechanics of that joint, which then starts to put stress on the hyaline cartilage. And then, of course, that starts a cascade of events that leads to a rougher, non-friction-free you know, surface of the joint. So by increasing the stress on that hyaline cartilage, even though it's designed to last 115 years, it, it won't because it's getting stressed more than it should. And not only that, but if you're altering the mechanics of one joint, then up that kinetic chain, you're going to see other issues as well. Have you ever heard where workout gurus will say alter your your exercise regime because you're putting like a certain amount of stress, like always on one part of your cartilage? Right. You know, they'll say, you know, change up your workout routine. Or, I mean, like tennis elbow, right? That would be an example or like pitchers that have to have Tommy John or something. That's that's an example of a repetitive movement. Right. That creates uh, a dysfunction. Right. And that repetitive movement is, is stressing one particular area too much above and beyond all the rest of the, that, that particular joint. And that's the wear point. So you're okay. only going to be as strong as your weakest link. Right. Right. right? So I, a lot of times I'll, I'll kind of describe it like if you're if you were golfing, you know, and, you know, you hit the, the, the grass and you get a divot. Well, that's what happens with the cartilage surface is you get these little divots. And over time, these divots accumulate and it becomes rough on that cartilage surface. And that in of itself stirs up a lot of inflammation to the joint, which further breaks it down. Right. Okay. So, you know, you mentioned that that you guys, when, when you do the stem cell treatments at your clinic, you're using stem cells from either marrow or adipose tissue. Or both. Or both. I think when, when most of us think about stem cells, we think about like placenta. Talk a little bit about the difference in you know, those two sources of stem cells. There's a lot of interest in stem cells, obviously, because they work. And so it's a lot different now than it was back in the early days when we first started doing stem cells. Nobody really heard about it. You know, nobody really heard about PRP or stem cells. And now they're hearing a lot about it. And so they're, the placenta products that are being produced by companies make a very easy barrier uh, of entry for physicians to get into quote unquote B 
being a stem cell specialist or whatever. And so a lot of them are advertising that they're doing stem cells and that they're using placenta stem cells. And although we have found some, some great results with using placenta tissue in certain indications, there's no stem cells in the placenta because when they're cryopreserved, it basically kills all of the viable stem cells. And besides, it's not legal in the United States to use cells from another, you know, they have to be autologous. So the word autologous means from the same patient. So in our office, we're doing adult stem cells with autologous cells on the same day and less than minimally manipulated cells. That's kind of like what the FDA says that you have to s stick to. Okay. So um, I don't know if that really answered your question about placenta, but the bottom line is that there are some great applications for placenta right. tissue. They can be used in conjunction with you know, some of these other treatments. You were saying something yesterday about you know, the, the process of preserving, I don't want to say kills, but you know, if it's been chemically treated or if it's been frozen, you lose some of the living tissue. Right. Um, it, but it is still rich in growth, growth factors. factors. Right, growth okay. factors. The, the, the main things that are, are, are really preserved in the uh, placenta is you've got the growth factors, which are very similar to what's in the platelet-rich plasma, except they're young. You've got platelet-derived growth factor. That was going to be my next question. Endothelial-derived growth factor, um, vasculo-endothelial growth factor, VEGF transforming growth factor beta. But you also have these tissue remodeling enzymes that are, that are really powerful, that are in, in the placenta tissue. In addition to that, there's immune modulating molecules mm -hmm. in there. And that can be a real positive for a lot of people with a lot of chronic inflammation. You know, whether they just have chronic inflammation or if they have uh, a situation where they have an autoimmune condition, you know, these immune modulating chemicals can actually really help that, that treatment work a lot better. Okay, cool. So that was actually going to be my next question there too, is, uh, you know, applications for placenta versus PRP. Right. Okay. But, but that doesn't mean that that's like the best because, you know, there's been plenty of studies showing that the, ad so adipose derived stem cells it's something called SVF is, is what you'll see it termed. So stromal vascular fraction. So if you look at fat tissue, there's blood vessels and then there's stroma. So the word stroma in medical is basically like some sort of like cords that are holding the integrity of a tissue. So these mesenchymal stem cells are all connected into the stroma and the vascular. So they call it the stromal vascular fraction. So when you add an enzyme to the fat, it breaks the fat down, and then what we do is we spin it down, and what we have left is the SVF. And then the SVF is then combined with PRP. And so with, if you were to just put stem cells into a joint or a tissue, not a lot's gonna happen because you need the growth factors there to basically tell the stem cells, hey, I want you to turn into this type of cell, or it, you want that promotion of multiplying and di differentiating, which you get from the growth factors. So you always have to combine the two together. You can't have just one or the other. That's, that's really cool. What's the most fascinating or intriguing aspect of stem cell research and maybe the future of it in your mind? What gets you excited about it? Well, I think that we are tired of the pharmaceutical companies and they're obviously very motivated to keep the society in a chronic state of sick, sick care, right? 
And what we're really talking about is, is actually fixing the problem and regenerating the problem, is regenerative medicine. And so this is what people want. You know, if you had a choice whether to take an anti-inflammatory and get a temporary relief or to have an injection, you know, into a joint that would be, you know, basically rebuilding the cartilage, you know, it's a no-brainer. You know, I see this as being the future. And there, there's research now going where they're finding that injecting stem cells as an IV after a stroke, there was one particular study where they found a year later, twice as many people had full recovery. Wow. They're using stem cells for cancer. Obviously, the, the benefit of stem cells within orthopedics, which is what we're mostly talking about here today, is just incredible. I mean, they've already done studies and shown that, especially for athletes, it's superior than a joint replacement. So in 2014, they did a study where they took bone marrow stem cells and it was knee replacement candidates. And the ones that were given a knee replacement were compared to the ones that were given bone marrow and they went out three years. And they found that the, the results were about the same except that the, the group that did the stem cells were more inclined to go back into sports than the ones that had the surgery. So when you say more inclined, is that like is that a mental thing or is that actually a physical difference in physical recovery? There was better fun. There was better function. Okay. Where if they were okay. if they were athletic, they were right. they were more of the the athletic subgroup of that study went back and started playing sports again, where there was less of them in the joint replacement. Okay, a two part question. You know, how could uh, a listener find? You know, somebody who practices the way you do, is there like a database for people looking at healing and rejuvenation the way you do? And I guess part B to that is what are some things we can do at home to sort of, you know, help um, with, with some of this stuff? We, we have quite a few people that come to us from all over the country and out of the, out of the country even. You know, we've been doing it a long time. I, I don't often refer people but there are some very good practitioners out there. Um, you can, you know, you can Google your town, and you know, there's people that will have websites. And, and you know, I would always recommend going in for a consultation. One of the things that we really didn't kind of cover is the ultrasound guidance, which I think is is critical. Yeah, and and I thought that was really fascinating. So maybe touch on that just a little bit. Yeah. So. What you told us yesterday was, you know, basically a lot of people are guiding injections using x-ray. And with x-ray, you don't see any soft tissue. You only see bone. So it's very difficult to get an accurate picture of, you know, what's going on. I had a, a profound experience with ultrasound guidance with my wrist. And it was the early days when we were doing PRP. And we didn't really know if PRP was working, would work for certain conditions and it wouldn't work for other conditions. And so... I injured my wrist paragliding and I had PRP done on it three or four times and I got some temporary relief. There was a, a conference that I went to and they were teaching ultrasound guided injections with PRP. And so I decided to be a volunteer and they, they did the injections on my wrist. What was fascinating was that when I, when I got to the table, the gentleman that was doing the ultrasound and scan started to scan my wrist and he started to point out all these different ligaments in my wrist that were damaged. And there's actually a, a piece of fibrocartilage in the wrist and he saw a big tear in that. And so then he guided this doctor to inject the precise spots with the PRP and it completely fixed my wrist. And I had no problem with my wrist since. 
And this was a big shift in my career because I could see the future of orthopedic medicine was not just the advancement of a lot of these different substances, you know, PRP, stem cells, ozone, right. but it was being able to put them in the right place and also to diagnose the patient appropriately. You know, because if you're talking about an iliolumbar tear versus an SI, you know, and you're not in, even injecting the right thing, you know, you have to be able to see those tissues to see what they look like. And what really shines with ultrasound is that it will show you small subtleties that you'll miss a lot of times with MRI. Well, x-ray doesn't show soft tissue at all. So, so there's a huge benefit with ultrasound. First of all, it's safe. You know, it's not harmful. Right. Um, and you can see things real time. And then you can do dynamic studies where you might hold the ultrasound machine on like a rotator cuff and, and you'll move the shoulder into certain positions and you can see what those tissues look like as they're transitioning from one place to another. And a lot of times tears will, will, will show themselves when you do these dynamic studies where you won't see it in a static picture. A lot of chronic pain has a, a component of calcific tendinosis. We see this a lot in the practice. You can see this on ultrasound. And then the most important aspect, Ryan, is that you can guide your injection so you can see the needle in real time during your injection. So you can inject, you can break up calcium. Sometimes what we do is we go in with the needle and we'll actually kind of almost stab at pieces of calcium. Of course, we use lidocaine before we do that. <laughs> I'm sure the, uh, the the people being treated are grateful for that. Yeah, but but you can imagine like this hard calcium in you know a tendon in a rotator cuff, like that's like a little knife. Yeah, you know. So we we'll often go and reduce that calcium and then basically bathe that area with something like PRP, and it, it it's amazing how quickly not only does it heal, but the problem doesn't come back. So I think back to your question about you know how your listeners could kind of better guide is. Make sure that they're going to someone that's using ultrasound. But ultrasound is a very difficult modality to really learn and master. I mean, it takes years. Many doctors that are just getting into this area, you know, it's going to take them many years before they really get good with it. You know, I would ask, you know, how long they've been using it. And, you know, I might even go in for a consultation and have them scan, you know, if, if, if there's a certain part of their body that they're mostly interested in, have them scan and just see how comfort, comfortable they are with that practitioner and how knowledgeable they seem to be as far as being able to, to, to isolate and diagnose, you know, what they have going on. Okay, great. Where can our listeners get more of you? Our website is advancedrejuvenation.us and uh, my email is askdrjl at gmail.com. And uh, we always do free phone consultations. And the, of course, you can call the office 941-330-8553 as well to set up a consultation. All right. We'll put all that information on the blog post for you guys as well. Uh, make sure you go to naturalstacks.com. You'll be able to see the video version of this, the links. Uh, we'll have some studies. We'll have all the contact information uh, for John and advanced rejuvenation. You ready for this? Yeah. All right. The question that everybody has to answer. Uh, and, and just so you guys know, we will be doing a, a follow-up episode with Dr. John. Uh, look for that in a couple of weeks. Stay tuned for that episode. But for now, your top three tips to live optimal. I would say, you know, we have our lives so 
set where we're keeping ourselves comfortable. You know, we keep our thermostat at a certain level so when it gets too hot, it cools us down. If it gets too cool, it warms us up. And, and I think in life, there's, there's aspects of that thermostat, you know, emotionally, spiritually, you know, physically, you know, we're trying to keep our thermostat at a certain level that's comfortable. So my suggestion would be change your thermostat around a little bit. Another quote I really like is that the quality of your life is in direct proportion to the amount of uncertainty that you can comfortably live with. You have, kind of have to think about that for a second. Yeah, yeah. So, so I would even add to that is that the quality of your life is in direct proportion to the amount of change that you're willing to use on your thermostat. <laughs> yeah, okay, I like it, I like it. Probably one of the biggest things that ha has helped me is the ketogenic diet. Okay. You know, I would encourage anybody to really closely look at that as a way to enhance mental performance, physical performance. I mean, I know you're ketogenic as well. Mm -hmm. For the most part, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so that would be my third. Okay, all right. So there you guys have it. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Go to naturalstacks.com. You'll be able to see all the good stuff there. Links, video, resources, and go to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. Let us know how much you like the show. When we're not traveling and doing them on set, we will uh, read some of those reviews. If we read your review on the air, we'll hook you up with free Natural Stacks product. And as always, share the OPP with the people in your life who you know will benefit from and enjoy the things that we're talking about. Uh, you know, that's how we get this message out there and help more people. So thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode.